0: Again to Fat Free Film. I'm Joel Marshall.
1: And I'm Kamala Lopez Dawson, and we have with us today a fantastic actor, uh, a writer, a director, and a producer, Thomas Jane. Welcome.
2: Howdy. <laughs> here he is.
0: We're,
2: uh, s- we're sitting in my living room. That's right. Uh,
1: thanks for having nice us here. Um, So, Thomas, tell us a little bit about um, how you started in the business. I know you, your first, was it your first movie that you made that was in India?
2: Uh, yeah. I, I was abducted by uh, Indians from southern India when I was about 16 and, and living in Maryland, working at a hardware store and going to an acting school in Bethesda during the day. Uh. And I actually, um, my teacher, uh, Ralph Tabakin, who's in every one of Barry Levinson's films, you'll find Ralph somewhere until he died a couple years ago. But uh, Ralph sent me over to uh, this uh, little rented house over in uh, northern Virginia where these Indians were all sitting on the floor, um, having just arrived from Madras, and uh, they were looking for a white kid to be in their kind of Romeo and Juliet style um, Bollywood film and I, I got the job
1: Did you have to speak in tamil
2: uh, Telugu <clears throat> we spoke Telugu and English and uh, singing and dancing and the whole the whole nine yards
0: well what is, how is it different to make a film in India than it is here? I know they
2: 're generally musicals. <laughs> Well, I'd never made any kind of movie up until that point, so it was all new to me. I, um, uh, you know, it was it was as much like an independent movie, and I'm sure my experience was a lot different than your regular Indian Bollywood movie making experience, because they brought their whole crew over to America, and we drove around in a in an RV and a and a big like a van. And we drove all over the country and made this movie very independently. You know, we didn't have any permits or any um, state, of, you know, state of the art anything. We slept in church basements that were run by uh, Indian fa- family and friends of the uh, of the crew, and and uh, lived hand to mouth. And we had our own cook that the s- starlet had brought in. And, she, and he cooked for the crew. Uh, so we, it was like our own little Indian bubble that we moved throughout So America. you didn't
1: shoot in India? Or you did? And then,
2: and then we all packed up and, and went to India.
1: Wow. It um,
0: sounds like a, like a carny trip. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's a just carnival a roving around making a movie. It's
2: that's, kind of interesting. That's exactly what it was. <clears throat> it, was it was a blast. I had a, I had a wonderful time. They didn't have any money to pay me, so when I got back from India... They left me the RV that we'd that we'd uh, uh, <laughs> used. used, and I ran around. I was 16 years old, you know, so I ran around, uh, wrecked that on the New Jersey Turnpike, and <laughs> and traded it, traded the remains of it for a convertible 1969 uh, Camaro, and nice. uh, threw all my crap in the back of that, and uh, and and drove it out west.
0: So you came right to Hollywood after that?
2: Yeah, I turned 17 in India. Mm-hmm. And then I turned 18 in San Francisco, having driven the Camaro West to San Francisco, where I studied for a little while. And then I turned 19 in Los Angeles, where uh, where uh, where I remain uh, ensconced today.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, uh, a lot of people come to Hollywood... Uh, With dreams of being an actor and I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this show who um, have those dreams also what is it like what was it like for you to hit Hollywood you had one movie under your belt I'm sure um, you know so that was one thing that I I suppose helped Um, but what was it like for you to come to Hollywood straight from Maryland or via San Francisco you
2: know I didn't know a single person when I got out here I, I didn't have any family or friends that knew anyone that was out here my family wasn't. Um, they didn't know anybody in the business, nor were they particularly happy that that I was, you know, com- coming out here to to be a to be an actor. Um, it wasn't something that anybody really understood. You know, for all intents and purposes, I was saying that I w- I wanted to be a bum, <laughs> which I did in a, in a way. I I, I certainly didn't want to. Work a straight job. I knew that. I dropped out of high school, I and mean, I was a very belligerent kid. You know, I didn't want to have anything to do with, uh, with with modern society, as as we as we as as they teachers and authority figures wanted you to to to, to do it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just didn't have any desire to play that game. So. Um, I knew that I was I was going to have to to seek a sort of an alternative lifestyle and that's what I did and I came out here I I I um, I started at the ground up I started building sets for uh, some of the some of the local 99 seat theaters around in Hollywood Boulevard and Santa Monica Boulevard a theater row uh, over mm-hmm. there and you know that led to a couple of small parts which led to bigger parts which led to stage managing and I got into the acting world through theater I took a few classes here and there and and but mostly it was just a, an excuse to get on stage um it was free and they didn't pay you anything but uh but it was people came and they watched and and, and I got to learn how to do it mm-hmm. and, and I got to do it I got to hang out with people who who did what I like to do and I I met writers I met directors and, and we formed this community of, of people you know slowly I mean and that's how uh that's how I got started I got uh, casting directors came and saw me in, in these little plays terrible little plays um but uh, I managed to finagle some auditions out of that. And through then, you know, after hundreds of commercial auditions, I managed to land a commercial, which got me my SAG card. Um, and then that led to a line on television, which led to a scene on television, uh, which led to a line in a movie. Uh, I guess Buffy the Vampire Slayer had a couple mm-hmm. of lines. That, um, which is funny, because today I'm, I'm friends with, uh, you know, uh, my brother-in-law David Arquette and and Paul Rubens, uh, who are also in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh! Mm-hmm. So it was a very interesting kind of, full circle, uh, strange small world. ...that Hollywood is, you know... But, ...but being a kid and just trying to break into it... ...it, it seemed impossible.
1: And you did odd uh, jobs to maintain yourself at that time?
2: Sure, and well, yeah... ...but, you know, mostly I was homeless. I mean, I just... ...I didn't have any desire to, uh... Eat. ...so you, you'd you be surprised how little money... that ...you need to live off of in this world. Um... And and I would live in, in, uh, uh, what's it called? You know, uh, apartments that had been the sheriff had shut down, condemned. Um, and uh, you know, it was very simple. Very, when you're young and you don't have anything to lose, it's very easy. I had a great time.
1: Uh, When did things start to really turn around for you? What would you ascribe? Uh, I did a
2: great I played a I played Neil Cassidy in the the last time I committed suicide and that kind of got people's attention when I got cast as the lead in that um with Keanu Reeves playing a sort of a Ginsberg type character and I, I played Neil Cassidy and uh, Adrian Brody was a uh, played Brody played the Ginsberg character um uh Keanu played the uh the kind of Kerouac character. We had Gretchen Moll and then Claire Forlani. This is a terrific cast, you yeah. know It's one of these little independent, tiny little two million dollar movies that no one's seen that had a great cast and uh, some a terrific score and a great story and you know what do you pe-
0: find that you learn from other actors working with other actors? Do you um, do you learn a lot about acting that way?
2: Mostly, I find that I just that I don't like them. You don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they're 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 self-centered and um, full of shit. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that that actors are the most boring part of the process of making movies to me. I I just I I they're chatty. Mm-hmm. Um, they're flighty. They're horny.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: they're uh, they're're they're, they're dirty uh-huh. they don't bathe they're drunk half the time <laughs> um, uh, I, I i i I find better company um, with longshoremen or uh, fishermen uh, coal miners is
0: that where you get your inspiration from coal miners and uh, longshoremen
2: uh well if, if you want to know the truth yeah, yeah I try to disassociate as much as my my life from from uh, Hollywood as I can, you know. That said, I'm I'm li- I'm living right in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. But um, do you think that
0: you'll you want to live um, the rest of your life in Hollywood, or do you think you want to move to
2: Montana or someplace? No, no, I no, I I love a big city. I, I'm going to take the. We're going to move to New York eventually.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But uh, because of my daughter, I don't I don't want my daughter to have a West Coast education. I think it's uh, Gelatinous, uh, the uh, West Coast educational system. So I plan on taking her and uh, getting her a, a proper education on the eat in the East, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, where, where men of letters teach uh, letters, uh, and and, uh, and getting the hell out of here. Hmm. But uh, you know, I've entrenched myself pretty well. It's hard to leave somewhere where I, I came here and I was living in welfare ho- hotels downtown and living off of food stamps and then, you know, having sort of built myself up, uh, um, uh, carved out a, a ledge for myself here on this, this cliff.
0: What was the, the um, first big part that you got that you could really uh, sink your teeth into?
2: Oh, I still haven't I still I'm still waiting I'm still waiting yeah. you know uh, there's no Standard? such thing as a good part anymore
1: what about Stander I thought that was a very good part
2: uh, it was great it was great I had a lot of fun with it
1: tell us a little bit about that experience and that film it was a female director
2: Bronwyn Hughes was a Canadian born uh, woman she's a terrific director I, I think she did a lovely job of the film the story is much more complex and nuanced than the film ever will be I mean I look at that film and I I just see all the flaws all the stuff that we cut out stuff that we missed um you know there's there's about eight other sides to the character that we were trying to fit into the film and we just we couldn't we couldn't get it in there um Part of the failures of, of filmmaking, you know, filmmaking is just a series of horrible failures, and some of them, some of them, you know, stand out a little more than others.
0: I remember you saying that uh, you had to hold up shooting at one point because the car broke down. When <clears throat> was shooting stander.
2: Oh, well, we were shooting in, in Africa. Yeah. Where they have lovely people, very hard-working, dedicated people, but but limited resources, you know, so. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we were dealing with that kind of stuff all the time.
0: I have to say, I agree with you um, as far as because I think you're a really strong actor, and I think that you have an ability to um, play characters. Just you're, you're uh, you have the ability to play characters that are very unlike yourself, mm. and uh, you have a chameleon like ability that I think that I would compare it to um, someone like Lawrence Olivier, like. Lawrence Olivier. A lot of people saw him in in feature films, or s- still see feature films that he's done, and they don't know it's him mm-hmm. because he's so different every time. And I feel that about you too. A lot of times, uh, when I saw that um, '61 that you did, mm-hmm. where you played Mickey Mantle, that's a completely different character from a lot of things. How what was that experience like? You had to play a baseball player. Are you a, were you a baseball player at the time? I mean, did you yeah. play a lot of baseball?
2: No, I never. I never. Uh I never really swung a bat. I mean, I'd played stickball as a kid. That was as close to baseball as I ever got, Um, which which was very disconcerting to Reggie Smith when he asked me, you know. So how much experience do you have? When we had four or five weeks to prepare for Mm -hmm. for playing uh, Mickey Mantle, but you know, I, I worked my ass off. Yeah, that's
1: the other thing. I mean, you're very gallant about this thing about actors, but I see you work like a dog, and I think a lot of actors work really, really hard, and they may be horny and dirty, but they're also pretty dedicated, Uh, and they... That
2: doesn't make them uh, interesting or or nice to hang out with. In in fact, it's usually the opposite. A good actor will be sort of obsessive usually to a point where it makes him a pain in the ass. And and to ha- try to have a conversation with one is just a fucking nightmare, you know. I'd I'd rather talk I'd rather talk to my shoe. <laughs> uh, 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 so, but but you know these qualities might make one or two out of a out of a million uh, interesting to look at on, on screen. Um, but you know all, all my favorite actors are assholes. I wouldn't want to have anything to do with them in real life. In fact, I'd run if they. Like if, they, if I if I saw them at a party,
1: now tell me a little bit. I saw um, that you had already directed a film called Johnny Nitro. Is that correct?
2: Well, we did a little short internet thing during the internet boom, uh, um, where you know we had these little webisodes, uh, kind of like the old Buck Rogers or Flash Gordon serials. We came up with this character about this this Russian no you know, this Russian. Uh, Super spy who'd been a, a woman who'd been contaminated with some special nitro glycerin type stuff. So we called her Johnny Nitro, and she uh, she could she blew up anything she touched. Um, so that was that was fun. So I I did I directed a few of those episodes, which never got edited because as soon as I finished directing them. Uh, which, you know, we had a green screen and we had wire work and stunt doubles. Oh, my and God. We had a lot of fun with it. And then we rotoscoped it. This is years, 10 years before Sin City. But the look that we had, uh, was because everything was dial-up at the time, so we converted it all to this rotoscope, kind of black and white, Sin City look to it because it, it made the downloads faster. And it was cool looking. Um, so we had, it was black, white, and blue, we had every, we could mm. we could throw blue in there, but these guys out of Kansas were rotoscoping this stuff. It was looking absolutely fantastic. You can find some of the episodes directed by Mark Silvestri on the web somewhere. you just have to well, google the, johnny nitro j o n and i and um but the episodes I directed were never edited and never finished because the i think it was called eruptor dot com uh went you know went bust the bubble broke <laughs> and where'd so, you
1: get the funding to do green screen and wire work and all rotoscoping and all that
2: well as I said the erupt the oh, dot they, com business yeah. was extremely
1: people oh they gave you money, money it. to do
2: extremely uh, uh, lucrative at the time so people wanted product and this is these are just one of the many things that were that people were throwing up on the internet at the time so yeah we had budgets and
1: Oh, cool.
2: I had a lot of fun. We we're shooting them on on digital, and it was fun.
0: Well, Thomas, you're doing a, a lot of cool things now. I know. Um, I don't know where you got involved in comic books or how that came about. Could you tell us a little bit about that? You have a comic book out now called mm-hmm. Bad Planet. I want to hear about that a little bit and how you got involved. I know you. You uh, played the Punisher. Did that have anything to do with your um, getting into comic books?
2: Well, I've been in the comics since I was you know eight years old. Uh, and I've been a, a fan all, all my life of the genre it's the kind of thing where you take a break for a few years and then come back to it and then take another break uh, it's a maligned uh, cancerous um, idiot stepbrother of a of an art form that every now and then shows flashes of brilliance <laughs> um, but I've always loved it and, and there's you know like, like many people, fell in love with it early on and, and, and really recognized the, the, the true beauty and, and art of, uh, of the graphic novel or the comic book. And uh, I've always wanted to do something in that world. And the, when I did The Punisher, that gave me the opportunity to put me in touch with a lot of guys who are creating this stuff, writers, artists, publishers and that's what you know gave me the means to to say hey you know I've got these i got some stuff that I've always wanted to do and and I just started uh, I started doing it I created a comic book publishing company called Raw Studios um you can go to the website Mm rawstudios.com and uh and we're doing three books now. We're doing Bad Planet. We're doing this werewolf thing called The Lycan. and we're doing this uh, sort of Little Abner meets Mars Attacks uh, uh, thing called Alien Pig Farm Three Thousand, which which is just fantastic. So we're having a, a blast, you know. And it's something that I love to do, and and I'm learning, you know. I'm just sort of learning how to be a publisher. I'm learning how to how to uh, work with artists and the business side of of how to get my books out on time and working with cover artists and schedules and all this, this fun stuff, but it's great for me. I think it's terrific training for producing. I also think it's great training for directing because you're coordinating, uh, working with a, a, a group of artists and you're coordinating with those artists on a particular project and I get to, to uh, direct everyone and try to get every, the best work out of everybody that I can. Um, so it all feeds into the, the film stuff for me, which is which is kind of my first love.
0: I know now, you guys have this deal with Lionsgate. Is that true? Um, you have a deal for making films. Is it making right. films out of these comic books? Or is it making... Uh, I know there's something called The Lurkers also.
2: Yeah, right? well, my, my partner is Steve Niles. I mm-hmm. hooked up with Steve uh, a few years ago. Steve wrote 30 Days a Night, which is Sam Raimi's company's turning into a film right now. He's a wonderful writer, horror uh, writer. And I hooked up with Steve, and we formed Raw Studios and Raw Entertainment, and we took it to Lionsgate, and they gave us a first-look deal. Mm-hmm. So we're developing The Lurkers, which is another one of Steve's comics, and we're developing um, uh, a couple of projects of mine... And no, it doesn't have necessarily have to be comic books. Uh, it just has to be, uh, you know, cool stuff. Cool. So and
1: you're actually direct, but you you're directing a movie, your first movie under that deal. Is that the next thing you're working on? That's
2: right. Yeah. I, in fact, uh, my storyboard artist is, is flying over from England uh, in uh, in a couple of weeks, and I'll sit with him and and start storyboarding my first film, which is called uh, Dark Country. Written by Tab Murphy, uh, a wonderful writer, who who, uh, who actually wrote for Disney movies, and he said to me, and he said, uh, Tom, I'm I'm tired of writing funny animals. I uh, I want to write something really dark, really sick. Um, and he has, he certainly has. Uh, and so we're gonna direct that for under three million bucks next year, and I'm gonna do it in 3D.
1: Oh cool
2: i' uh, am gonna shoot it on uh high def uh, maybe this r e d twenty looks really interesting this this new camera um and
1: uh what camera is that
2: it's the uh its Ari made a digital camera that that's uh virtually just like a film camera you know works with all their stuff works with their lenses and their mounts and their, and uh and it's a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful digital camera. Is
1: it a hard drive kind of deal or you a that,
2: oh, tape? A good, a good digital camera will allow you to do both. You can pop a tape in the back or you can plug in a hard drive. Um, uh, and, the, and, and this one will do the same. I think the tapes are working now and they're, they're still working on getting the hard drive up and running.
1: And when you shoot 3D, do, do you have to shoot with three... I don't know. what What's the technology? What do you do? <clears throat>
2: well, you shoot with two cameras, um, and it's a rig. It's a mount that uh, Ray Zone is going to build for me. Ray, Ray Zone is, is uh, your sort of the 3D uh, uh, master of, uh, of all things 3D, and so he's, he's tech, technically advising the uh, 3D part of this film and he's going to build us a mount um, which will allow us uh, what you do is you get two cameras about the same width as your eyes apart two and three quarter inches thereabouts and then that you have 3d you get one image coming from your
0: vision i suppose
2: left eye and one image coming from your right eye
1: oh
2: wow what's new about what we're attempting to do is we're going to create a dynamic interocular, which means that most of your old 50s movies have a fixed interocular. In other words, the cameras are fixed at a certain distance apart. So if you wanted to change your depth of focus in relation to the 3D of it all, you'd have to cut camera and move your change your interocular or move your camera according to your subject if I'm shooting close to you my interocular is going to be closer together if I'm shooting further away my interocular is going to be further apart, the cameras are going to be further apart much like your eyes are further apart when you're looking at something in the distances and they get closer together if you're looking at something so real 3D is part of the fun of it is being able to play with that and adjust it now that that determines the quality of the 3D effect that you'll get if you want to bring something out into the audience space you'll dial that interocular together so that your 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 image appears to float out in space if you want to bring it set it back inside your screen then then you'll dial it further apart a dynamic interocular allows you to do that during the shot much like a focus pull would be you'd be able to pull interocular so as you're rolling you're actually converging your lenses or, or bringing them apart depending on your camera move or what's moving in your
1: so it would be feet, like in your field you would put a, a, a it's like the focal length would adjust the width of the space between the two cameras
2: it's like having an extra focus puller a guy will run focus and another guy will run your interocular And and he'll be able to uh, dial your cameras closer or further apart during the shot, which is something that we haven't been able to do yet. And it creates a a very interesting effect.
0: Do you think there are going to be a lot more uh, 3D movies out there? I know Camel and I were over at the DGA a while back and we saw some older movies turned into 3D, and they were saying mm-hmm. that that's Reese, one of the, yeah, one that's of the so things cool. that's going to differentiate the fact of you know, what you see in your home, because everybody's getting you know, very large theaters in their home, and they're able to see a lot of things, so maybe that's going to be something that's going to draw people to the theater more, is the fact that they can see it in 3D. And I even understand that they're developing 3D where you won't need glasses to watch it.
2: Oh, uh, that's a few years off. I think they've been headache. working on that for a long time. <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah, I mean, they Sharp has a monitor out now that's glassesless uh, 3D. Um, it's a, it uses a lenticular uh, uh, screen because um, that means that your sweet spot is pretty much right dead center of your screen, mm. and if you move your head uh, to the right or the left of that, you lose the 3D effect. But it's the beginning of of uh, glassesless 3D, and I believe that we'll see. Glassesless 3D on our in our home systems, you know. B- mm. Before long, Man, yeah. probably a, 10, a good 10, 15 years off though. Uh, now James Cameron has said he's never going to make another movie that's not in 3D. Hmm.
0: Um,
2: his next movie, I think it's Avatar, is going to be in 3D. Uh, and his movie, the movie after that he does after that is going to be in 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, George Lucas is converting all three Star Wars into three D.
1: We saw bits of that it at the D J. To see it,
0: these it things like Greece or, or Star Wars all in three D, it was really something. So they're else. going to
2: be released next year, starting mm-hmm. in two thousand and seven. We'll we'll start getting the three Star Wars uh, re released in three D. Um, you know, Peter Jackson has a three D project he's working on. Um, I think they're doing Journey to the Center of the Earth in three D. The remaking that Uh, Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas is coming out in a month or in two weeks in 3D. Um, So yeah, we're looking at the beginning of another sort of 3D boom. Mm. Um, What it means is that you know digital theaters are convert are buying the making the conversion to 3D. So you need two digital. I think you can do it with one digital projector now but you need a card that allow that allows this dual stream I think it's called a dual stream something something um, but all these theaters are making that that conversion so the idea is with my three million dollar movie that we we're gonna we're gonna fill a a, uh, a niche there that's gonna be created and then in, the, in two thousand seven two thousand and eight. When these guys have these uh, digital three D projectors up,
1: do you think that they're doing the digital three D projectors because they're all they're all have to convert over to digital projectors anyway, so they might as well just do that too? Uh, or is it a different thing?
2: No, I, I want, once you have a digital cinema, converting it to three D is is really uh, really simple. Hmm. Um, but you know the, the the what's the big wave is that pe- more and more people are converting to digital, and that's a big deal. I mean, I, that's a couple of hundred grand per theater. Um,
1: Aren't the studios mitigating, helping the theaters with that cost?
2: There's some deals that are being done. I, I don't know what all. That. Seems like
0: there's a lot of burden on the theaters themselves these days to upgrade. I would think that that uh, would be in the studio's best interest to help them out in some way.
2: And there there's all kinds of. You know um b- breaks that you're getting if you're converting, and the company that converts are, is also being supported by the studios and that's all they're all in bed together, and they're all making it as painless as they can to convert to three d to digital
0: now, thomas you you recently worked on a movie called Mutant Chronicles, yeah, and that was shot on a digital camera from what I understand a viper yeah. stream camera. What was that like? Is that um, how was it shooting in digital like that? Do you was it a different experience for you at all? Oh, what was I loved
2: like? it. You know, yes, it's interesting how how things change. Uh, uh, our digital camera, we there's no such thing as a slate anymore. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's the clapboard and the mm-hmm. lady that runs out and puts the take take number on it and yeah. claps it. That's gone. Hmm. Now there's a guy and he types it in, and he says go. <laughs>
1: So who calls action?
2: So the first AD calls action, but there's no there's, there's no more slate. slate. Hmm. So uh, all that sort of business of about it is gone.
0: Were there more takes on the on the shoot than if um, you were shooting film?
2: Well, you have more you certainly have more you know, it's open-ended. You know, you just let it run. Mm-hmm. Uh you just do it again and there's a there's a again a guy behind the monitor with a keyboard who just hits a button every time you want to do it again just marking the spot so you're not you're not really cutting as much as you might be with film and what is um, that
0: movie it about the movie faster yeah it's a it's a about?
2: it's it's the buck rogers kind of style uh, adventure it's an adventure movie it's like a war adventure futuristic um, uh, it's a lot of fun in a blast,
1: but didn't, don't they have to switch out those cards, those um, the hard drives every eight minutes or something?
2: Uh, it's about we were getting, and we're running. We're, we're only the second movie to run full at full capacity, which, in other words, we're we're shooting with as much information as you can possibly put onto a frame. Which is about 11 megs of information per frame, which is a huge amount of information. Um, uh, uh, no one's done that. Uh, they've, we've shot, we've seen movies on digital, but it's just been too much information to process until very recently to shoot an entire movie uncompressed. Most movies are compressed. You watch Michael Mann's uh, movie with Tom Cruise, Collateral. Mm-hmm. A big, big to-do was made about how that was shot mostly on digital. It's all compressed stuff. It's easier to work with. It's easier to to work with. Mm -hmm. You don't have as much information to process. Um, We shot this movie completely uncompressed. David Fincher shot Zodiac uncompressed. And, and we're so are they, and we're right behind him with uh, Mutant Chronicles. Are
0: the ha- are the um, cameras then connected to big cables that go to hard big hard drives? Is uh, that how it works? Yeah,
2: we, that's the way we were we did it because we shot the entire movie on st- a studio, mm-hmm. so we didn't need to get out and 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 shoot with the tapes. Uh, that said, we uncompressed. We were changing out our mags uh, every forty minutes.
1: Oh,
2: well, that's not bad. Uh, well, it's it's a lot better than every yeah. ten. With, right. Uh, it used to
1: be with, eight, I think.
2: Well, uh, your four hundred foot mag is is what? What's that? Uh, four minutes. Four minutes. Yeah. So, all that's all that's gone. Mm-hmm. You don't have to changing. be changing mags every every five minutes.
1: And the whole movie was green screen, you said.
2: Yeah. Well, about sixty percent of it. Yeah. And then what about Killshot?
0: You just shot a movie recently called Kill Shot, right?
2: Uh, yeah. Diane Lane? Yeah, an Elmore Leonard novel, Killshot. John Madden directing me and Diane Lane and Mickey Rourke. Is that kind of an action movie? or That's Sort of a thriller, yeah. Okay. yeah just, what um, was it like working with John Madden? Wonderful. It's great working with a director who understands actors. Um, it's a rare thing. Uh, directors it's it's uh, somehow they 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 most of them have forgotten that that's actually part of the job description it's a big job directing uh so uh, very few people do it well uh madden is is uh, he's great he he understands actors so it's a pleasure to work with a guy like that
1: you're going to be directing yourself in this um, the the dark country movie, aren't you? Yeah. Are you going to yeah. Yeah, direct I'm running, yourself? Running out Do you of people
2: to
1: <laughs> You're going to have to talk uh, to
0: the actors, I think.
2: I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> what
0: about I, also? You did this movie with David Arquette that he directed, right? Yeah,
2: David directed uh, something called The Tripper. And Paul Rubens uh, is in that. Paul puts Paul and and David me uh, this guy Chris Nelson. Uh, and some other terrific actors um, whose names I, I never knew mm-hmm. um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now it's just some really lovely cast group of people cool. that's premiering at the Scream Festival on October 13th Friday the 13th ah, so neat, it'll be an right. o- opening night at the Scream I think that's what it's called the Scream Fest
0: Scream Fest I think it's called yeah it's here in LA yeah. um I think we're going to have to wrap it up here. Thank you so much for all this information. This has been um, really interesting. And we're at the part, though, where we do the film bites. Right. And that's a little piece of advice to uh, first-time filmmakers out there that might help them on their journey. Um, I don't have one as of yet. Does anybody have one? What?
2: A film bite? What is it?
1: A film bite. It's just like a, a little nugget that could help somebody right now oh. that... that that's starting out that's oh. making their movie or, or
2: <laughs> good luck pal
1: <laughs>
2: good luck something to add alright since okay. nobody else has this one Justin <laughs> <Shebaker>. <laughs> um well since Thomas Jane is, has a wide range of films and certain genres and you're doing some horror films as well um, I always found that if you're just starting out and you're trying to put a movie together sometimes it's good to start uh, with a horror film because they can be made for very low money and you don't need big names all the time to get them sold so I always thought it was an interesting genre to sort of get your feet wet on and play around with and you know make mistakes on
1: <laughs> that's what?
2: my film by.:
1: that was great yeah,
2: thanks Justin played out. So many goddamn horror movies coming out in the next couple of years. It's just it's over a saturation.
0: What kind of movie do you think um, somebody should make out there?
2: Oh, a horror movie, definitely. <laughs> definitely, yeah. Just throw uh, it on the pile. There's a pile over there somewhere. You see, the guys dro- like to drop their movies off. There's a pile over there. <laughs> it's on the corner. It's, yeah. Well, oh.
1: my, my film bite would be that uh, one of the things that I've learned from speaking to Thomas now, um, is he, he really is pretty innovative in the way he thinks. Um, he latched onto something that he enjoys, which is comics, and he actually just went out there and got himself into a field that he really didn't know anything about. And it led to a deal, and now it's led to him directing his film. And on top of it, he's going in a direction of 3-D, which is very interesting. And I think what's interesting about Thomas um, is that he thinks outside of the box, and then he puts in the time and research to make it actually come to fruition. And that's that, that I think, is very laudable, and I think that's one of the reasons he's so successful, despite... His um, rejection of any sort of uh, exactly. yeah, bad, right attitude. bad attitude because he really is very smart and yeah. he he reads a lot, he thinks a lot, and he thinks out of the box, and that's that's a very good thing to do if you want to succeed in Hollywood.
0: And Camilla, I wanted to talk to you just for a moment. Uh, you were just cast in a film. And uh, I just wanted to let everybody know, Kamala is going to be starring in a horror film. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's actually a... more of a psychological thriller, and I'm going to be up in um, Santa Paula near Ojai for the next three weeks working on it, all alone in a big, scary house.
2: Wow, congratulations. That's fantastic. So, so congratulations to Kamala. That kind of work that really uh, you know, that challenges yourself. You come out of it a different person than you went into it. Um, my film bite is uh, is something that got me through a lot of lonely uh, days and nights when I first got here in Hollywood. At some point, you know, I mean, because it becomes very easy when you, especially when you are trying to survive. Because you have to w- w- think about um, you know food and a place to live and in my case or or a, or, a, or a job in, in some other people's cases uh, there's just hundreds of things to think about during the day and 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 then if underneath it all you have this burning desire to actually get something done um, and yet can't seem to find the time to do any of it uh, and it, that becomes very frustrating as it did for me and what I finally promised myself was that um, every day I would do uh, one thing for my fill in the blank and that's uh, it was harder than you might think at first Um, some days it was just going to a movie other days it was reading a play Um, you know other days it was getting a headshot done or, uh, or, uh, buying a suit, you know, trying to find a secondhand suit at, at, at the goodwill. Um, but it was something for what, it, whatever it was that I wanted to do, you know, the thing that I loved and, uh, that, and I kept that promise to myself. It was hard. Uh, and some days were, it was really hard. But I kept the promise to myself. Where every day I did one thing, for my art, and that became two things, which then became three things. And 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 today, I, I wait. It's usually, um, you know, everything I do is is, is somehow related to, to, uh, to what I love. That's
1: and, great. And and I just want to say, just from uh viewing or observing Thomas is he has incredible discipline and that's something that a lot of people that say they want to do things they talk a lot of talk but they don't put the time in and that's mm. something that um I always see Thomas working. He's never not working.
2: Yeah, but I but I do it out of love. Well of a course. Di- a discipline sounds like you have to do your homework. And I hate homework. I hate that. I'd much rather uh, loaf around uh, and and believe me when i say i do one thing every day it was it was usually you know something like you know read reading a book or <laughs> watching a movie but but it was something that i did every day and 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 i and i and i have, have to turn it into something that i love to do otherwise it feels like some kind of labor and i just never wanted it to feel like uh, any kind of labor, and that—that's why I do things like comic books and 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 movies because uh, uh, because I love I love it, I love it so much, and then it never feels like work, and so, so somehow I've managed to not work for the last uh, you know fifteen years in Hollywood.
0: I, I just have one other film bite, and that is um, wherever you are, find your community. Find people of like mind. Find people that are supportive around you, and um, you know, hang with them, and they'll inspire you. Um, Camel and I have found some, you know, great people in this um, in Hollywood, in this community. There are some, you know, real nasty people out there too. But Thomas is one of them. Nasty people. Thomas is that. But find you know people other than Thomas that are like you know, really good people and say positive things. <laughs> No, Thomas is not one of them.
1: <laughs>
2: well on my way, though. Well on my way. <laughs> He'll be all right. He'll pull out of it. All right. All right. Thanks, Thomas.
1: Thanks, Thomas. Thank all you right. for taking
2: the time. Now you guys promised me a, a bottle of whiskey for this, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, we'll bring it, over. Bring it on over. <laughs> um, oh, and if you have any questions for us, email us at joel at fatfreefilm.com or camela at fatfreefilm.com. Look forward to hearing from you.